Hi everybody, welcome back. How are we all doing? Happy New Year. Welcome to the first episode of Amateur Hour of 2022. Uh, if you haven't heard enough TikTok saying it, are you feeling 2022? Um, I personally, not so sure. I still keep thinking I'm in the year 2021, thinking about how Oh, six months ago in June, but I'm thinking in the same calendar year, not necessarily like the year before. I don't know everything in terms of my frame of reference is still stuck in 2021, to put it simply. So yeah, I'm not really feeling 2022, but I am excited for um, another great year and another great year of amateur golf, which is today's focus. Um, I know things are a little different today. I am doing a solo podcast, which if you listen to Swings and Studies um, back in the day, and back in the day, I mean like literally a year ago, (laughs) um, I used to do these all the time. This was like a nice way for me to kind of assess and just honestly ramble about the amateur golf world and mostly a lot of college golf, but I I would just talk um, at nauseum about different things and uh, this time around I was like why don't I kind of bring that back because I feel like once in a while it's fun to do um you know I like being the interviewer and I like being the person that gives you the intro and you know giving the spotlight to the player or whoever is on for any given week but I I think sometimes it's cool to just talk about the stuff because not everything can really fit into a few hundred characters on Twitter and the reality is I just want to ramble and you can choose to listen to it or not. So sorry if the interviews are more your thing and you don't really want to hear about amateur nor college golf anticipatory content, but it's anticipatory content season and I want to talk. Um, We got into reflective content season where I dropped my 21 things I loved about 2021 in amateur golf. If you haven't read it, you should check it out because it was a nice um, throwback to the year and a lot of great stuff happened, to be honest. It was a fantastic year for amateur golf and even college golf especially. So highly recommend reading that if you need to get up to speed on what's current, what's popping. Um, when I was coming up with that list, I swear, I think I had upwards of like 30 different things I could have listed. Um, so it was a tough list to condense, but needless to say, I did it and you should read it if you so choose. Anywho, let's dive into the podcast. I don't want to hold you up anymore. Um, like I said, anticipatory content season, slightly off the cuff here, but we're going with it. I am excited for quite a few things in 2022 as it pertains to amateur golf. Now, there are quite a few things, especially that I mentioned in the 2021 piece that were announced slash introduced that are happening in 2022. Those things would include the Elite Amateur Golf Series and the U.S. Adaptive Open, which are both going to be so rad. Um, I, oh my gosh, like... I, I get so excited about 2022 in the sense that there's just like a fresh set of events, a fresh schedule. And I when I was preparing for this podcast, I was a little conflicted on whether I should make a lot of predictions. Um, predictions are fun, but here's the thing. Um, 
they're really t- it's really tough to say who's going to be in the US AMs um like eight ish months out. Uh we've also got we've got like a whole season of qualifying. Um I mean there's some people that are for sure probably going to be in it as as exemptions aside and wins aside, but I don't like to play that game this far ahead, especially without a set field. So I'm not going to do that. Um, But I feel comfortable in predicting a little bit of what's going on in college golf, mostly because like fall is the little baby primer. It's like, hey, we take this seriously. Um, But at the same time, it is not like grind, hustle, boss boys and girls season. Um, It's still pretty light. But you do get a feel for, like, who's going to be good and who's not. Um, we clearly saw that in Rosang, um, who is the GOAT, goaded. Just, wow. I mean, like, words cannot express. But I'm going to get to that a little bit later. Um, I just want to cover the year in anticipation of lots of great things to come outside of the NCAA schedule because it's great but um that's not all there is to amateur golf even though um it's a pretty big focus and obviously this is going to be the pinnacle of the season anywho um I am stoked stoked for another Curtis Cup year another back-to-back Curtis Cup year um, because that's that's a little bit wild one. I know they have to get the scheduling in place back to the um, the every two years schedule, so I get it. Um, but it's also in Marion. It's back in the U.S. The U.S. currently has the Cup, and let me tell you, based on this practice session um, of who's got the invite, if the list of people holds, which by the way, that practice session is this January, January 15th or 16th um, in Florida. If that list holds more or less with the 12 players who are invited, um, which I kind of assume it will because looking at this list, um, I mean, the Curtis Cup this year is in June. Last year, it got delayed to August because of COVID, but this year it's in June. Um, so it's kind of at like a good time for before maybe any of these girls wants to turn pro. Um, I can only see maybe like a handful of them doing that. If that, um, some may retain their amateur status until Q school later in the year. Um, but there is a lot of overlap with last year's. Uh, roster, which is extremely exciting because obviously last year's team, you know, had a slow start when the Curtis Cups, but then they were goaded. Like they were just, they came out swinging in the final day. And especially in their singles matches, they were rad. So the overlap from last year's team, I'm just going to kind of name off the names of who could be still in the mix, which is really crazy. Um, <clears throat> Jensen Castle, reigning U.S. Women's AM champ, obviously. Um, she's still been playing pretty decently. Um, Megan Gane, who was an alternate in the Curtis Cup last year, uh, didn't play, but it's Megan Gane. Like, 
don't be surprised that she's being invited. Rachel Heck, who is still as consistent as ever, but has definitely taken a little bit of a backseat in the college schedule, and I feel like is being amazing and letting Rose shine, but also Rachel is just as fabulous. I mean, wow. Uh, obviously, again, I'm going to stop teasing Rosang and everything Stanford now, but just incredible. Julia Johnson. Wow. Miss Julia Johnson has Miss Julia Johnson has her faces, but she's been great. She is the stalwart now at Ole Miss, and she has been spectacular. But she was not on the Curtis Cup roster last year, so this is like the first like this is like she's getting warmer. Her Curtis Cup place is getting warmer. Girling Core from Baylor, who has also had some pretty great moments, especially she had a really good one at the run at the U.S. Women's Open last year. So it's cool to see her name on that list. Um, she would be one of the older players along with Julia. Um, so I'd be interested to see if she retained her amateur status to play to before to play the Curtis Cup before she went pro. Um, that was a couple couple of um, members from last year were telling me that that's something that they really wanted to do. Um, was to maintain their amateur status to uh, like have not have the Curtis Cup be their swan song, but it'd be like one of the final events they would ha- play before turning pro. Um, Rachel Keen, a repeat. Hey, <laughs> Amelia Miliacho, another repeat from last year. Uh, Brooksy from Stanford. So that would be the third Stanford member because Rosang is obviously invited to the Curtis Cup practice session. Uh, that would be the third Stanford player invited. So that's a pretty big fee. Brooksy's been playing really well in um, not only in her individual amateur events, but just in the absence of Rachel and Rose. Um, Annika Sumanatafa from Ohio State is also invited. She had a really good run at the U.S. Women's Amateur last year, notably. Erica Shepard of Duke is also invited. Um, she is kind of expected to take the reins when uh, Gina Kim turns pro at Duke. And I think I think she's going to thrive in that role. Um, but she did pretty good while Gina was out competing at Q School of holding it down for Duke. Um, I think there's still a little bit of momentum that they need to find, but she... I think she'll do excellent leading that team when that time comes. So that kind of rounds out that roster. Um, There's a little bit of overlap, like I said. Um, Oh, I meant to include, excuse me, Jenny Bay. Jenny Bay is also in that Curtis Cup uh, practice session invite. So the practice session generally, like, basically says, these girls are probably going to make the Curtis Cup contingent on their next few months. Um... It's very likely that they do. Um, there are automatic selections, which would include Jensen and Rose, just because of their accomplishments from last year. So, like, Jensen gets it because she won the U.S. Women's Amateur, and Rose gets it because she won the McCormick Medal. So there's two automatic selections um, already in place. It's just a matter of rounding out the rest of the roster. Those are big contingencies, but I imagine it won't shift very much based on the caliber of play and how good these players are. Um, Yeah, so it's going to be pretty exciting to see how that shakes out. Um, 
but com- different. It's a different set of circumstances uh, than last year, where this year you've got a shorter amount of time to kind of prove that. Um, whereas last year it was really till August, but now they've got till um, June. So that'll be a lot of fun. The overlap again. Megagane was the alternate, but Jensen, Rachel Heck, Rachel Keane, Milia Miliacho, and Rose Zhang. All are the names they're teasing out there who were on last year's roster. Um, all played very well. So it'll be interesting to see. This is already a pretty stacked list, so I'm curious to see how it fully shakes out. But enough Curtis Cup talk. Um, it's very anticipatory. Who knows how that's going to play out. Let's move on to another event that I am quite frankly shaking at its return because it has not played or it not been conducted, excuse me, in four years, which is the World Amateur Team Championship. It is a little crazy to say that there has not been a World Amateur Team Championship in four years. And I like to put that in perspective for everybody. Colin Morikawa played in the last World Amateur Team Championship, as did Victor Hovland, as did Takumi Kanaya. Just just to, like, put that in perspective, you, the, that's what the last World Amateur Team Championship looked like. The last U.S. team, specifically, was Cole Hammer, Colin Morikawa, and Justin Suh. So, that's what that looks like. Um, and that's, uh, that's, like, that's pretty weird to consider. Um, right now, I think it's a little early to be saying, like, who could be on the team. That's, like, predicting Spirit International a few years out. But, um, I mean, World Amateur Team Championships on a little bit of a different level. Um, the results from last time, I don't feel like are going to hold just because on the men's side. So first was Denmark. That was led by John Axelson, who was at Florida at the time. U.S. came second and third was Spain. I feel like the U.S. could make like a really formidable run at first but the thing is, is that that's a really hard thing to predict again, because granted, when you look at the top 50 of Wagger, it is like half Americans. But the thing is, is that a lot of those guys are college seniors or guys on the PGA Tour U list who are like very likely going to go pro or attempt to go pro this year. So it's going to shake up a lot. Like the only person I could really think of who would be in the World Amateur Team Championship like solidly is Stuart Hagestad, literally, because everyone in the top 10 is basically a college senior and has some sort of PGA Tour U guarantee. So on the men's side, this is extremely hard to predict what the team could look like. But I do think the U.S. has a fairly high chance of winning just based on like the level of talent in the top 50 and how consistent it's been, especially within the past two years. But 
I don't know. It's this is like an interesting. This is an interesting year. Now on the women's side, the when I was looking back at 2018 on the women's side, it was kind of wild because they the results the U.S. won on the women's side, but Japan came second and third with South Korea, which is wild in the sense that that's still a very accurate look four years later of amateur golf on an international scale on the women's side because really and truly the Wagger top 50 is in that order when you designate every country. So Wagger, like it's U.S. has the most girls, then it's Japan, then it's South Korea, and they came in that exact place, which I thought was an interesting coincidence, but it's just, it's mind-blowing that that is still carried over. Again, really early to be shouting off all these predictions, um, but I feel like there's a little more certainty in who could be on the women's side, just because there's there's more stalwarts. So like Amelia Miliacho, for instance, would probably be playing just because she's not going to turn pro, but she is still, she's like the 10th ranked player in the world right now um, and is probably still going to play to that caliber. So it can't see Amelia not being on that team, but you would round out the rest with like Rose Zhang and Rachel Heck, who I don't anticipate either one are turning pro this year. So that, it's just a little bit strange for there to be a little more um, certainty on the women's side than the men's, just because there's a lot more turbulence in terms, usually on the women's side and elite women's side as it relates to college, because usually the top players are thinking of turning pro and whatnot. And it's just interesting to be like this, this potential women's roster could very well be it, but who's to say? That's just me drowning off these predictions. Again, I really don't like doing them just because it is so far out, but I'm going to shout it out off anyway. So that's how I feel about the World Amateur Team Championship. I'm very excited. It's in France. It is going to be a blast. Um, it's a really cool look at golf on an international scale because there are so many European team championships and a lot of what the European players go home to play in and those are generally really competitive but it's nice to see like the U.S. in the mix of the team championships. I wish there was a little more of that outside of the Curtis Cup and the Walker Cup and on the junior scale like the Junior Ryder Cup and all that but It'll be cool to have it back. Very excited. Anywho, something else that I am very, very, very pumped for is the first year of the Elite Amateur Golf Series. And the women's is in the works. Um, there's not really um, there's not really any certainty on that, on when that'll be. But that's really great in the sense that there is going to be a pipeline of play directly for the U.S. Amateur outside of qualifying. Um, So that'll be cool. And I also think it really adds a lot of cohesion into the summer schedule 
because I feel like it can be a little bit difficult to explain not only to people but to like follow when you first get into amateur golf what the summer schedule is like because you're like oh this guy played in this event this week but why is he not playing in this one there's no series or really set schedule or I mean players aren't really out here being like I'm going to play in this 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 and this mostly so it's nice to kind of have though that be like a landing not page digitally even though it will be but like a little um little landing spot for everybody so like the seven events in the lead amateur golf series if you're not familiar um are the sunihana the Northeast Amateur, North and South Amateur, Transmiss Amateur, Southern Amateur, Pacific Coast Amateur, and the Western Amateur. So obviously the big ticket events are all in. It'll be really cool. So the perks of this is it'll work on like a point system too, which rewards the exemptions and other wonderful spoils. So the top five finishers for the 2022 Elite Amateur Cup is what they call it. So, like, I guess FedEx Cup light, but, like, on a very shortened schedule. Um, <clears throat> Sans obvious sponsorship. So, the top five finishers for the Cup will receive an exemption for the 2022 US Am following. Um, that's, like a few weeks turnaround which is crazy but you know that's 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 golf but the top five finishers will also get an exemption for the following year's u.s open final qualifying so that's nice to kind of like skip over sectionals just to jump into final um it'll be interesting to see who takes that up just because you have to stay amateur and I feel like I feel like most people generally would just because if you're playing that summer schedule, chances are you're gonna play, you're gonna stay the following year, and the U.S. Open is usually early enough to like not have to skip over. So, needless to say, the that's some pretty good um, incentive to play and encourage that cohesion now you there are a couple pro tournament exemptions um you you can get you can get an exemption to play in the butterfield bermuda which will be cool and corn a corn fairy tour event which will also be really nice so i'm here for dishing out more pro exemptions don't this is like a separate rant. Don't force kids to like have to money qualify or go off and do their own little thing in the middle of the year. I I am all for like you do you and do what's best for you, but dang, don't it would be nice for, you know, for there to be more reward for good college play or good amateur play. So I'm glad this is happening. Anywho, We'll see how that all plays out. That's not till the summer once again. Like, everything here is just not happening for a little while. Sans the NCAA schedule. Um, college golf is approaching. Right now we're still in, like, that little that little winter amateur lull where everybody goes off and plays their events and ch- or chills. Either one. I, generally, you're usually playing events. But 
nonetheless we're still on the little winter break i am just overjoyed and excited at the potential for postseason and the championship simply because i think we have some of the best rosters uh number one that we've seen in a long time stanford is the obvious one between the reigning individual champion rachel heck and rose zhang who is still on her win streak of three straight her three first starts having won um undefeated rose zhang and rachel heck are the two best players in the world right now and captured the spirit international as well so i mean between that and a really well-rounded out stanford roster of brooksy sadie engelman and alan crowder angelina Yee, just i can the sky is truly the limit they are a team that is going to be very very hard to take down as the season goes along oklahoma now oklahoma has always been in the mix however i really think their national championship hopes are at a high once again they had a very very convincing win at the east lake cup um between like settling the fact that Chris Goderup's transfer has been pretty spectacular and Logan McAllister has been playing very consistently well. That was their lone team win of the of the fall. Actually, so sorry. They've had two. They've had two team wins this fall. Correction. They've had two team wins. Um, each was extremely convincing, but taking the East Lake Cup and redefining how they approach match play was just ex- was extremely promising. They fell to Pepperdine last year. Um, it was relatively close. Let's just um, let's uh, let's establish that three and two. That was relatively close. So was the East Lake Cup. But I feel like now this team has really learned to rally under pressure. And it'll be really nice to see another attempt at the title that I really feel like could come to pass, honestly. I feel like Chris Goderup has really helped round the team out and is really shining and heading to the Big 12, which is now the Big which is still the Big 12, but, you know, we'll soon be the SEC. Um, but, yeah, between Gara, McAllister, Thomas, Dowell, there will be some really great wins to see. They, they just generally played really well this fall, and I don't see that momentum dying down anytime soon. So as far as the number one teams go and their power and the completion of their games, I mean, you've got some really great long hitters on Oklahoma. And I feel like, again, like short game is everything, especially in the national championship, especially at Greyhawk. But 
I think they can make a really promising run. Now, reigning national champions. I don't know if I expect Old Miss to make another run. They were like a little bit of a fairy tale story last year, um, but they did. They still have much of that roster. Sans, Milius, Sonderby, and Kennedy Swan. Smilia went back home and because she just didn't want to play college golf anymore. I think she's still playing as an amateur, I believe. Um, and Kennedy it turned pro. Her eligibility was up. So that leaves Julia Johnson and Ellen Hume to re-anchor it. And while I think they're two extremely good players, I think a lot of other teams have also... Um, come into the fold and have demonstrated some really incredible things aside from Stanford who had like a pretty quick exit in match play in the spring or for NCAAs last year see I keep thinking 2021 is the same calendar year I keep doing this um Oklahoma State is also one to really watch out for I know that um they also couldn't get it together when it came um in crunch time and match play, but I really think Kaylee McGinty's trans- transfer, Kaylee McGinty's transfer, and um, Chris Goddard's transfer between Oklahoma men's and Oklahoma State women's has really supercharged these che- teams. Um, and it was really nice in NCAA's in the spring of last year to see Madison Hinson Tolchard come alive as like this like their sixth man who like was thrown in because she has really been playing super well since. Like she had a really good amateur summer and this fall she's also really held it together well for the team, whether it was in match play or individual competition. So it'll be really nice to see her. Um, Sierra is now a main placement in the line lineup. Um, I am also, I also feel like starting SEC lines, I know. South Carolina's been doing well. They've had two team wins in the fall um, on, like, a really, like, kind of quiet roster. There's no, like, you know, pervasive superstar, um, considering, especially because Pauline Jean Bouchard turned pro. Um, so that was kind of a big loss, pretty tremendous loss um, for South Carolina. Um, granted, Pauline is still uh, involved with the team in terms of like like a little mentorship standpoint from what I understand but that kind of shook up the SEC a little bit and I feel like we all expected LSU women's to make a bit of a deeper run than they had uh let's not think about the Baton Rouge regional too much that was uh you know that was the heartbreaker of the postseason um I'm not gonna get into that because that was just uh really anger inducive so let's let's uh take look they'll take the region out of their chances lsg women's is i think if they can really pull it together between ingrid Blatt and latana stone they can be they can do some damage because ingrid is rather consistent and i think the spring is when she really unlocks but Latana Stone, I think she's still searching for her first college win, 
but this winter has just been something else for her. Um, won the Dixie Amateur, which is one of the top elite women's events, but she's currently, like, I'm, I'm literally watching this unfold, and who knows, but right at the turn for the Women's Orlando International Amateur, she's playing right now, she's got a seven-shot lead. So, Latana Stone can win her first college event. It's just a matter of when, and I think it could happen in the spring. So watch out for LSU women's golf. They're a strong team, and I think they normally turn it on in the spring. Expect them to do so. I think these are just a couple teams that I feel like are going to really come alive. On the men's side, again, Oklahoma dominates all. North Carolina, I feel like Austin Greaser really came to form, especially after the USAM in his finalist run, I feel like that kind of supercharged the team as well. Um, David Ford coming was also pretty major for them. Um, I think they could do some really incredible things as well. Once if, if they make regionals and they wind up, they had they had three three team wins this past fall. Uh, for what it's worth, I think that's worth a lot. But yeah. That's especially the one at Olympia Fields is uh, a little wild. Um, I I just think he's Austin Greaser's emerged as like a pretty great leader for his team and is changing the face of North Carolina golf. Um, and I really feel like they could contend, contend this NCAA season. So that'll be cool to see. Um, but it, it'll be great to see more of Austin Greaser. Uh, hitting driver because that was one of my favorite parts of the U.S. Amateur. So yeah, I I guess the big question on the men's side as well is can Pepperdine contend again? The answer is probably is a big fat probably, honestly, because Joe Highsmith has been on a really good bender, playing some of his best golf ever, and uh, he's just got he got an individual win over the fall and top 10 did really good at the Western I think USAM he even played super well so uh, there is just so much veteran experience um, on this Pepperdine roster they pretty much retain like four out of the five guys that played in the national championship and I feel like that experience is going to be a tremendous help in contending once again they had a really good fall um probably not as good as that they as they hoped but where Highsmith had his individual win they also came through with the team dub so that's cool um I know Burgess has been playing really well William Mao is consistent um Dylan Minante, Derek Hitchner had an incredible summer on the amateur schedule, and I just think more or less their one through five lineup is probably going to stay the same. They're probably going to retain a lot of the national championship lineup. I would just imagine that they would um, most likely throw Hitchner in the mix, but they're, they're, it's going to be interesting. I, I think their title defense is going to be 
I, I hope it comes down to Pepperdine in Oklahoma. Like, if it didn't come down to Pepperdine in Oklahoma, that would be that would be kind of sad. <laughs> but I am just excited to see, especially I think at the Southwestern, which is where they open up this um, this spring. I think that's going to be very telling of how well they do. And yeah, I mean this loaded veteran roster, which you'll see. I mean, there's going to be a lot of. A lot of them will be gone after this this year. I think they're going to want to take home another one. Last year's was their first one in 24 years. So I think they're going to want to do it again. They've been there. They've got the experience. They know how to handle the pressure. Um, you know, just fighting off other teams like UNC and Oklahoma, I think, will be the test. And I, I, think, I think they can get it done. So that's my prediction. Um, a soft, a soft I'm t- I'm gonna say I'm tied up between Oklahoma and Pepperdine because they're both extremely stocked, and safely I think Stanford will take the title this year. So that's how I feel about the NCAA. That was a very long rant, um, just about some teams that I'm watching who I think can do it, who I think probably won't do it again. I don't know. Ole, Ole Miss was a nice surprise. It'll surprise us again. That would be cool to see be someone else will come out of Oregon. Oregon's been playing, had a really good fall. I don't know if they're the strongest team in the Pac-12, but they're up there. Oregon women's golf is very good. Arkansas men's golf is also very Y'all, I just have, I just feel like there is so much to anticipate when it comes to the NCAA, and that was an extremely long rant. This solo podcast might have been one of the longest I've ever done by myself my swings and studies history included. I can't believe I talked this much about, like, stretched anticipatory content this much. Like, this is crazy. Um, But really and truly, like, between the Curtis Cup World Amateur Team Championship and um, NCAAs and what could be the uh, Elite Amateur Golf Series, there is so much to look forward to. Um, and this is going to be just a really great year of covering amateur golf again. Um, like I said, like I plugged earlier, if you really feel like reminiscing and throwing, throwing back, it, it is Thursday that I'm recording this, so if you feel like having a TBT and you want to look back at um, last year, peep my, um, peep my little list that I came up with, because I think it's a pretty good list. Again, like I had over 30... 30 items that I really wanted to include, but it is 21, and I could only keep it to 21, and I felt like I picked a decent list. Anywho, I'm going to wrap this up because I rambled a little too much, and y'all don't need to hear that anymore, but thank you to anyone who potentially sat through this. If, uh, if you did, like, I'm, I'm sorry. But I am also grateful. Um, I, I am just, again, immeasurably stoked is the best way to describe my feelings towards the year. It's going to be a nice one, I think. A nice is like the way I'm going to put it. I don't want to say great because everybody uses great as a modifier for the year. I probably said great at some point. It's fine. I'm fine. But... I appreciate you listening to this entire episode of the Amateur Hour podcast. So sorry that there was not an interview this week. I felt like talking. 
If you like those, you should let me know um, because we'll we'll get back to those like pretty immediately. Like that's not that's not a concern. But if you also liked me rambling, which you might be crazy, but if you do, I would also love to know that too. And again, I am so grateful to have this platform where I can do stuff like this and just like ramble about amateur golf forever. So thanks again. Sorry that I put you through like at this point, I think it's probably like over 40 minutes of talking about amateur golf, but thanks again for listening. Uh, always like more than a pleasure to do this. Thanks to myself for doing this. This is the year of patting yourself on the back, so don't be afraid to. I just did it. You do. You should do the same. Because no matter what you're doing today, I bet you're kicking butt at it. So thanks again. I'm going to let you go because it would be so rude of me to hold you up. But again, if you want to follow me and my nonsense or random amateur golf tweets, I talk a lot on at J-R-D-N-P-R-Z. That's my name, Jordan Perez, without these vowels. Haha. Um, any. I will catch you later. I hope. Next episode will be an interview, for sure. But, yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye! Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.